Hi, everyone. Welcome to the new writing series. I am extremely pleased about the reading that's about to happen um, with John Keane and Christopher Stackhouse. Um, We have um, Ali Moreno, a grad student, um, just wrote me the most urgent email saying, can I please... You know what, Frankie, can you turn this down a little? Can you guys... Little up. I, th- I wonder if it's omnidirectional or if it's unidirectional. Unidirectional. Um, maybe down just a teeny, teeny bit. Yeah. Is that good? Okay. Um, oh, careful, guys. It picks up all the. Um, okay. <laughs> Um, but Ali was so excited about the possibility of introducing these guests. I've actually never heard a student um, basically beg to introduce writers before. And I said, absolutely. I love that you love them because I love them too. So here to introduce our guest today is Ali Maya. No pressure, right? <laughs> A series of annotations. Annotations. One, a note of explanation or comment added to a text or diagram. Two, an experimental novel from New Directions Press written by John Keane. A novel like staring into the sun, phrases scattered like little undiscovered islands in a wide, unbroken body of water. John Keane, a winning Writer's Award winner, Fellowships from Massachusetts Arts Council and New Jersey State Council on the Arts, a professor at Northwestern University. Slip, one, to slide unintentionally for a short distance. Two, a chapbook by Corollary Press written by Christopher Stackhouse. Described as a poetics and aesthetics of slippage, there is a redemption from constant questioning and reconsideration of answers, the redemption is form. Christopher Stackhouse, Cave Conum graduate fellow, contributing editor for Fence, Bomb, and Benitas magazines, a book of prose and a book of poems forthcoming. Collaboration, the action of working with someone to produce or create something. Two, John Keane and Christopher Stackhouse, a book called Seismosis that penetrates the common ground between writing and drawing, literature, and visual art a revision landscape where much of the work is abstract, abstracted, or both. Revolutionary, anti-linear, and highly responsive, a sophisticated call-and-response affair, a formal experience. Anecdote, a short, amusing, or interesting story about a real incident or a person. As an undergraduate student at Cal State San Marcos, I wrote a series of prose poems influenced by John Keane's annotations. Later, I submitted a portion of that work to UCSD's MFA program. So standing here, I think something should be said about circles. But instead, I'll just thank John Keane for being a part of my writing journey and then ask you all to please join me in welcoming and thanking John Keane and Christopher Stackhouse for being here today.
Um, thank you guys for having us here. Um, that was a nice introduction. Appreciate it very much. Um, I'm just going to get started. I'm a, a tad bit frazzled. I thought I brought uh, sheets of paper with me, and I didn't. But luckily, I have everything on on uh, on my laptop here. Um, the first poem I will read um, is from Slip. Actually, I'll read a few from Slip. This is Untitled. Understand form and make do with form. This is a new page, thusly a new idea, or at least a different one than one on the preceding preceding page. Spelling, telling, a train comes, still blanks, still pushed against the lens. Culture, look at it wiggle in the dish, out of its jean jacket onto an industrial tile floor, to build a titanium house folded like a napkin. Mark. As a mark is made, it becomes an image. As you make a mark, you become the image of an image, making a mark, remaining. Frames your tree as what was once, now gone, the ephemeral monument to phosphorescence or the vapor, the audience, the contrast, the sophistication swollen by a bee sting, sort of reddish, a pyrotechnist walking the finale. and slip. Settle into found bona fides, interpretive transverse, plays meeting to embrace, still pretenders filling an interval. Locus classicus, refurbished injury, staying, a stitch in the margin, a nerve, how seen, diverse as a planet, if one can remember, one shiny token, a sparkle in the eye between thoughts, expeditious, angular, denatured curve, cupping slippage, circumference to radius, point being to or not to come to a complete stop. Um, let's see. This is a new, relatively new. I've been working on it for about 18 months, actually. And um, it's unfinished. And uh, John told me it was situated between John Cady, John Ashbery, and Kenneth Koch. Um, and I didn't have any of those three in mind, formally uh, speaking, when I approached writing this. Um, I'm not quite sure what it's about, uh, but I'll read up to, I have three, uh, what is it, 11 or 12 line stanzas, and I'll read um, those. It's completely unfinished. Um, although I do have the title, and the title is the first line, and you should have this pleasure. And you should have this pleasure, say, for reasons abrasions endured. There is the background, and there is the feeling, the difference between 
how I think and how I sound in the expression of ideas, going soft inside a model kindness standing in for more or less apart its private elation, to turn, as always, anything goes into abstraction, a story problem on a flyer. As rare as it is, we sit at the table drinking together to this. Shifter, I should explain to you in advance that I can't might be the accurate sensation, with name, consent, and envelope this time inside a different model. You could be anyone thinking back over things, how visual people like to look at things, collecting specific images as reminders of all the pending disasters. That is not to say they will happen the way pending sounds, but I am, certainly as others are, aware that anything we suspect could happen probably won't, but could. I suppose if each of us spending time thinking about possible disappointment stopped, when it does finally appear, it might hurt less, it might as already be made rare enough to savor. As a manner of speaking, there is the door slightly opened, permitting a shaft of light in a sheath of sound, leaving fragrance, tone from floor to ceiling. You make worlds happen even after every time there is something new in the reading, able to reach into me, breast summer, holding the wall in question, holding promise to the wall, or deafening abbreviations, unsure, still a noiseless relic, our choke of secret as baffling as wind, the limitless number before us at the border of difference, getting back to the language. I love its gree-gree, its table full of structures. You name them, they are there. And that's the end of where I left off so far. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um... For, um, I'm working on a manuscript um, that's going to be published by uh, Counterpath Press um, with Julie Carr. And um, I sent her a raw manuscript, like completely raw, um, fresh out of uh, uh, a barred MFA program. And, um, and she said, you know, I said, hey, this is not finished. Um, how do you feel about working with me in terms of developing a manuscript? And... Um, and she said, oh, that's a great idea. She's like, you know, poets never want to do that. And I said, well, I write so often in so many different ways. And, um, and you know, I throw manuscripts away probably every three years. And, you know, maybe this time I shouldn't throw one away. I should pass it on to an editor and see if they can push me somewhere. And um, so she she's wrote me one letter about a year ago. And so now I've divided it up into three parts. And I have um, one section, which is slip with... Uh, about a dozen additional poems to the 10 that were in the chapbook. And then a section called Radio, which is about this kind of um, uh, ephemeral, ethereal kind of transmission that happens in communication that um, kind of goes beyond uh, the technology of, of language and, and word use, um, but tries to lean on that. And then there's the uh, section called Impart, which might become a different book. But... One of the poems, there's two poems in the radio section that um, kind of do some of the heavy lifting 
Um, and I'll read those two. Um, one is called Radio, and the other one is called uh, Blue Star Fame Index. Um, this one is, I'll read Radio first, which may or may not be done. I have, I write in a lot of eight-line poems um, in the um, vein of the uh, Stromboto, um, old Italian form. Um, and this has all eight lines, but I'm unsure about the final line. Radio. If you don't know what the A secret fiction is, how can it depress you? Or was it the theater of the mind as in reified by And I Love Radio? Or the question laden in the original question, how could it be? Only some aspect of intent shown here manifest done so to tell me. And this is for how it goes to glass, fact with crevices, waves upon it. As for many subjects, all sides, though delimited by opulent tenor, object. As buried in amber flash, there is a little bit every day between us. To capture fidelity, otherwise disembodied, to filter emptiness, speak. And then there's... Um, uh, sorry about the popping. Um, Blue Star Fame Index, which actually wrote um, Christmas, started uh, Christmas of 2009. I was at Rebecca Wolf and Ira Shurer's place uh, in the Hudson Valley, and I was by myself for Christmas, uh, and um, Ira said, oh, come on up, you know, and, and have dinner with us or whatever. And so I'm sitting in their living room, and I just kind of just jotted this poem down and then later on thought about it and kind of liked it. And it was kind of influenced, too, by hearing the chatter of family. And then I was reading some a book of philosophy, and it's literally a dictionary of philosophy, and just kind of jotted this out of it. Um, Blue Star Fame Index. Emergent occasions to order element from ideal height. How do you know about them? One implausible copy after another. Sudden synthesis or leavings from an acrophobe quotable. Two. As destined to fail as beauty, as fear, which is never final to recurring astonishment, alone in a room, the theory goes as disappearance, as breathtaking, as sitting in a chair, ranking excursion, two as dramatic composition. Three. As if just because you didn't know it was there doesn't mean it wasn't there. And only... The minute I let you down, you'll know I'm in love with you. And only, if you'll help me with what really concerns you. Four. <clears throat> Symptoms staged in diaphanous scapes, a virtual amateur blue star fame index. Five. In other words, conditions. And, um... To close, there are, um, I'm working still, in a, and part of the problem with the manuscript is you're writing simultaneously, you know, three and four books at a time, which is not a good idea. Um, <laughs> um, this is the in parts section, and I've been working on these poems probably since 2004. Um, 
roughly, right in the middle. I think I started working on them right in the middle of um, of while John and I were working on um, seismosis. And we started working on seismosis in what, 2000, two, 2003, we really started working on it. Well, 2001 was when Ronnie made the proposal. So then 2000. But um, so, so right in the middle of that process, before we actually got a manuscript, I think it was 2003 that we got, finally got a manuscript, yeah. Um, and actually, you know, before I read the Imparts poems, I want to read a poem that actually hopefully can provide, maybe it won't provide any context for it. Um, but John likes this poem. It's, um, this was actually the very first poem that, of that lot that didn't get included in the Imparts lot. And it's an independent poem, and it actually will be included in the radial section of the coming, man's, coming book. Um, it's called Signed Verso. Signed Verso. It is probably in his pocket cast at the place where there is the nice touch. Even the semen is fermented. An icon with miracle. Signed Verso. Who knows what the body needs? Knock on the wood of the bar. Piss in a bucket and watch it evaporate. You are a well-tempered clavier. Positional silence. Given sans serif. Out of his realm on the campus, he opened the field and built the university around him. Ab Zorb. Signed, Verso. You have a strange head of hair. And here are the imparts poems that actually came from that. Uh, I was trying to force that into a, an octet, and I couldn't. And it's, uh, at some point, you'll see that it's like kind of stretched out and has plus signs in it. Um, and then I went back and I was like, well, that poem is kind of about desire. And so let me delve into into that. And that's what a lot of the imparts poems are about: is a bunch of different sensations of desire. This radical dentist, oh, one other thing is, um, it's a sequential poem, it's serial, and all of the poems have the same title, um, and they are um, uh, titularly marked by A, B, C, D, E, etc. Um, I haven't decided on that either, even though these poems will appear in Afgaba, uh Number 10, as that, I still haven't decided on it. So I'll just read them without giving the titles. This radical disintegration of parts, squeals, gesture, erasure, assertive, tearing away or open a hole in the scene, the grid everybody sees to be vulgar, mass and volume, flesh is modular, peeling back themselves, reduced to an immense silence, a thick mucus in the throat, Proxy for pedigree, all pleasure being equal. You are not supposed to look good if you have desire. The best guess trapped beneath surface tension. Cursive against cursive. Seminal in the plain air. Crossfade, taxi, unmade, stretched, contractible, catching light in the past. Staving dissension, becoming apart. What seems to be nothing, this is what happens. This 
Radical disintegration of parts, squeals, gesture, erasure, assertive, tearing away or open a hole in the seam, the grid everybody sees. To be vulgar, mass and volume, flesh is modular, peeling back themselves, reduced to a thick mucus in the throat, proxy for pedigree, becoming a part, all pleasure being equal. You are not supposed to look good if you have desire, X or face in a bubble or nosing in on its contour, turning away from nothing, the best guess trapped beneath surface tension, cursive against cursive, seminal in the plain air, crossfade, taxi, unmade, stretched, contractible, catching light in the pass. This radical tearing away of parts, squeals, gesture, erasure, assertive, opening a hole in the scene, the grid everybody sees, or becoming a part of all pleasure being equal, you are not supposed to look good if you have nothing, desire, X, or face in a bubble, or nosing in on its contour, turning away from the best guest trapped beneath cursive against cursive, piper blow, blow hard in the plain air, crossfade, taxi, unmade, stretched, contractible, tension, catching light through the wreck, approximate, devilish, burgundy, pressed to function, throat instrumental to itself in the and serial. And, um... There are a few more, but for, for time's sake, this will be the last of that series. X or face in a bubble or nosing in on its contour, V-shaped pointing from to the best guess trapped beneath surface tension. Seminal to be vulgar, mass and volume, flesh is modular, peeling back themselves, tearing away or open, a hole in the scene, the grid everybody sees, reduced to a thick mucus in the throat, proxy for pedigree, becoming a part, all pleasure being equal, you are not supposed to look good if you have desire, vicinal in the plain air, crossfade, taxi, unmade, stretched, contractible, catching light through the wreck, instrumental to itself in the and serial. Thank you. move this away from my mouth because I'm one of those people who makes lots of popping plosive sounds uh, if I get too close. I'm going to start off by uh, reading a few poems from Seismosis and I'm going to pick poems that I think uh, can function in several different ways. So each of these is kind of like a little Ars Poetica about uh, the project and so the first one is called Color. To resort to other expressive methods are the ways of deriving the called thing, drawing, without you. Through color, the key, the eyes, the harmonies, the soul palette with its innumerable stirrings. Can it be trapped as a figure, the perceptual color? Is it clear where the color space lies, where string and range begin without you, whether the fingers that play are representable? 
the fingers that say artist. One layer beside another, differentiable, where tendency is evident, one key or another, the graphic that enfolds with holes, from closing to stitching, vibrations as color, touching drawing, compact or not compact, call things soul, represent them as differentiable. Where it is clearest is lyrical, where it passes through itself as connections, figures mass. Without you, the other ways, through methods tying the spectrum to what stays, what plays beneath the other layers and tying the last one, without keys or harmonies. And where would it be without you? And I always like to say that that poem actually uh, quotes a rap song at the ending. I don't have a book to give away if you know the song. <laughs> okay. Uh, this poem is called M.O. Poesis, and uh, it refers to many different things. Uh, M.O. Modus Operandi, M.O. Mindy Lewis Obadike, a wonderful poet uh, who I adore and um, who uh, kind of got me thinking about some of uh, what appears here. And I also will say that one of the reviewers was a beautiful review of this book, and, but the reviewer said, you know, this is a very much a guy's book. And, you know, it's just all, all the pronouns are male. And I thought, somebody didn't read one of the poems. <laughs> so you'll see how I challenge that. So, Emo Poises. Thinking and wondering how to stutter poetry. Thinking and wondering how desires armor her. How the paper and fold are positioned, yearning, in public as quiet. Without power or armor, the backs of her poems struck silent, stuck and lost so, or scooping up and working that out of shy and felt and separate. How do they stand to dedicate myself to message and process after talking? Do that, I didn't do that. To share poetry, share it. Little notes on the backs of her promise opening a fierce circle of thinking up front, present in. Things found, written on the screen on presence itself, thinking wheels writing. The group, conceptual as art is, shit peep yet never said before, her thing, things, think. To roll, to have a roll, going all hard and reeling, paper reels and sticks in their imagination lines. All that in one place, on it, onto it, in it. Whom will I gather, gather into these folds? I wanted to imagine what it would be like to write a poem or a text that wrote directly to a drawing. And what would it sound like? What would it, you know, as opposed to being the usual ekphrastic poem or, you know, a descriptive poem or an illustrative poem or finding a set form. So this very strange poem is what resulted. And so I'm going to do two voices and one voice is the voice of the drawing, sort of. So you hear me. Do you hear me? The act, not merely to fulfill its beauty, do I hear it? Hands with pens and pencils close in, noting onset, summer twilight settling on its transparent courses. Stone delight flowing concept like laughter, fear, and cataracts netted and caught where magma scorches 
and replays our scene. Motivant, closer. Conceiving, feeling into interior discourse where ego nests, where desire passes and navigates absent rivers of color. Desire shapes and in negatives, eddy and forms, detail storms the ear and retina. You project me. You, already growing in the neural grid to surface on paper, guide through ink and graphite past plan or purpose. I project you, this strangeness, ecstasy bleeding into the black reflection. Identity, do you hear it? Does it hear you? My erratic web thrums, but doesn't come undone. Drawing is surfacing through a different plane. And just a few more. Uh, I also wanted to try, uh, really sort of under the spell of the drawings, to imagine a poetics and poetry that would allow the kind of simultaneity that we experience when we look at visual imagery. So we can look at, obviously, the eye alights on different places, but it does it so quickly that we can notice multiple places at once. So I wanted to think, what would it be like to write a series of poems or series of texts in conversation with the drawings that allowed us to have that experience of reading them in multiple ways, aloud, with our eyes, etc.? So this is Membra, and I'm going to read just two of the ways that it can be read. So just to show you, it's in two columns, and there are a number of pieces in the book that do interesting things with columns or, uh, you know, have, I'll just show another one here, this one, which is, I thought, an impossible poem to read, and then two young women actually sang and performed this, so I learned a lesson about my own work and our work, so... Member, between jointness and surface, not externally driven prior rhythms towards this unity forms continuous and rigor, where faults settle forcing through the disparate hand visions loose, lost and searching. Oneric studies diagonals reign in a field or its mirror, not a steer, touching, frames weave closing, cleaving the closeness by eyes, spinning unities and sense, threading difference according to acts or axis intensities. Determining a facility, method painting, exhilaration. Differing axes, order frame, austere intensity settle closer. Eyes touch rigorous method fields, mirrors pointing, image surfaces. Continuous senses spin diagonals, hands searching form joining nonlinear unity, disparate phrases weaving rain. Between jointness differing and surface axes, not externally driven order. Prior rhythms frame towards this unity, austere forms, intensities continuous, settle in rigor closer where faults settle eyes forcing through thought, touch the disparate hand, rigorous, visions loose, method lost in searching fields, oneric studies mirror, diagonals rain pointing in a field, image or its mirror, surfaces, not austere, continuous touch of senses, frames weave, spin, cleaving the closest diagonals by eye, hand, spinning unity, searching, in the sense, forming, threading difference, joining, according to act or axis, nonlinear intensities, unity, eternity, disparate of facility, phrases, method, painting, weaving, exhilaration, rain. And I'll read just one more. And this uh, piece, I uh, was speaking to a class at um, Williams College uh, last month, 
that in the National Poetry Month. And so one of the students said, is there, other than that emopoiesis hall, is there um, a, uh, another piece that sort of explains what you're doing? And I said, well, actually, you know, often poets do not, and you know, artists do not tell what they're doing. They don't give it away until they stand up and speak to someone. And I realized as we were having that conversation that this sort of explains exactly what's going on. So it's called Perpendicular, and it takes its name from the overall title of the drawings. I believe Chris originally titled them the Perpendicular series. So that's where the title comes from. By talking through ourselves to our private margins, we are breaking thinking, personal, introspective. We are linking exploratory, how to arrive at, embody lucid. We are drinking looking, or how to transcribe what eludes us. For ourselves, or a chance to share and enter other ones, on sharing these, ego's arrows, and what slows us. By walking through this perpendicular of cloud sheave and stroke, we are leaving thinking for expressive and phys physical intervals. We are layering thinking in its intensity and its physical presentation, graving and gesture, the found and unfolding wave process. Breaking public messages, we who strive to form and respond, making public modeling, rituals of the looking process, within us transformations of structure, dynamics of impure story, within us evolutions reflecting holes appropriating patterns, you looking at thinking, uncoding referent mystery, we deciding hemisphere and plane we peer into, draw through. And I'm going to read a few uh, new poems that are a little less, uh, let's say, abstract in some ways. Uh, and you'll see what I mean. Okay. So has anyone seen the um, movie How to Draw a Bunny? No? Okay. You watch it? It's a great movie, so I highly recommend it. Uh, and it's about an artist named Ray Johnson who is uh, very little known. Um, and uh, so he's sort of the inspiration. He's one of the inspirations. There's another artist, Nate Blake. Nate, Ray Johnson is no longer with us, and Nate Blake is uh, still alive. And um, so I have a sort of complex relationship with uh, Nathan. Uh, but anyway, so this poem is about uh, Ray Johnson. And there's a moment in the uh, poem where, in the, in the uh, movie, where he's trying to remember the name of a famous R&B singer. And... Um, so he uses a mnemonic to remember his name. So I'll do his voice, and then you'll hear the mnemonic. And then let's see if you can guess who it is. I might give it away at the end, but. So it's called Untitled Modico's Ray Johnson. Question. The black singer, Antarctican, bunny heads, cover, dear Joseph Albers, Eskimos, not quite it. Feigen Gallery, gasoline, hat, Black, isolated, January 13, kill, do not, lucky strike, mountain black, nothings, osmotics, postage, queen's fingernails, ray on, silhouettes, throwaways, tinder buttons, urinating, Venetian blind-like effect, water, street, xerography, yellow circle, Zoroastrian, Norman Solomon, Answer. L. Green. <laughs> of 
underground. Listen, Aishu. The squealing melody, like somebody's baby as the train lumbers into the station. I'm listening to a song, but I can barely hear myself listening. What are you writing about? Nothing and everything at once. The cry the wheels make as they begin to break. So many songs that sound like someone shouting. The young men who keep leaping in front of the train. The conductor who can't pull the brake fast enough to stop the train. The people watching him soar like a magpie into the air under the archways, his ankles holding fast to their last glimpse. Crossroads. That was a song I often sang in childhood. I'm listening, but I can barely hear you, head on head. They are gathering at the entrance of the station with petitions and placards, writing, waiting. Your touch pulls a tripwire in my throat. Often when I enter you, I feel as if I had been sleeping, and I wipe my ears, but the tears keep flowing until they could fill a small bed, weeping, mice squealing down the black iron track, under, underground. They emerge to the doors like a poser who cannot sit still. Vampires, bankers, wherever they disappear to. What are you writing? Whatever lives on the other side of that dollar. The man half asleep and raggedy and hungry holding his heart in a sack on the bench. Nobody watches him fly, little magpie. Listen, the blues sweating through the phone's radio. What is the name of that song? Everything at once. On the other side of the door is a house built of blood, one for sorrow, two for mirth. They are gathering on the platforms with drums in their hands. That rhythm is the kind that makes me dance, waiting, exhaling. Often in the darkness, I can see myself. Eshu, are you listening? I know a song that is written in blood, louder so we can hear you. Sometimes when you enter me, I holler out, keep going, sing it, squealing. What are you writing? Three for a wedding, four for birth. On the other side of the hidden doorways in Manhattan where the trains used to run, not that tunnel, the other one. Are you listening, Orpheus? Dogs barking, dogs barking down the gray iron track, whispering, rifles. Perhaps because the city is suffering once more from a metabolic disorder, the live long day. Men in masks emerge from the doors holding their breath, breath as if underwater. Where it's darkest under the archway, it's hardest to see me. Life at the end of the tunnel. Put the gun on the seat beside you, waiting, breathing. An old woman holding fast the hands of a lover trying to leap through the next window of his existence. I'm not crying, just listening. When we enter each other, we cry out together. Can you hear me? Financiers, vampires. I fall asleep waiting to hear about the weather on the TV channel dedicated to the weather. I have no more dollars to hand out, so I offer this one my skin. The infomercial recommends it. Hungers, fires. The men crying out as they begin to break. Someone shouting when they enter me. The bustle as another one climbs onto my back. The official can't pull them back fast enough to stop the train. No one watching me crawl into the tunnel. The channel changes as soon as I scream. You never sang that song. No one is listening. They can barely hear me. Head on head, dreaming paper, trip, wire, touch, sometimes holler, my ankles hold fast. And just a few more. And this poem uh, uses uh, the, the final line 
uh, comes from a poem of the exact same name by uh, Philip Larkin, a British poet of the mid-century. Myxomatosis. Supine in the center of the soundless room. No nurses hear your boundless scream. No nurses see you're swimming upstream towards the brain, but you're already in the brain. Towards the eyes, but you're already in the eyes. The ears, throat, limbs, aorta, and veins. Because of you, the IVs are brimming. Because of your ever-shifting disguise, lesion, blindness, fever, tumors, hemorrhages, the bits I chart hedges, the end is near. You're always giving death a schooling. You're eager to drag the unwilling along. Your call, inimitable, plants its right echo. Once it roots, it cannot be unheard. Still, you swarm with remains of the flesh like a nest of hornets slowly loose into an open field. Listen, I already know how to lose your game. Listen, fate so far saved me from having to play. No doctors hear the soundless cries of the last dreams that separate like dread along the quiet halls when night steals past your wings to expire on the windowsill. If you could only keep quite still and wait. Suit, and this is for Phil Horvitz. If, if sorrow is a suit, its weight is incalculable. One day he's gone and you put it on. One day he's gone and it sews itself inside you. Morning drapes your skin in its invisible fabric. Every memory furs atop a prior memory. Your limbs, your features, your senses, your senses extend themselves to accommodate the sadness. One morning you wake and try to wear this new suit in the bathroom or the bedroom, in the shower or at the front door, down the stairs of the stoop to the walkway hovering before you, and you finally realize you are carrying another body, his body, your former body, your bodies together, in and on you, and this slows you and stills you, weighs more than two bodies or many bodies inside your body. It's like the bodies of breeding bodies, metastasizing bodies, so much bone and vein and hair, and you touch the force, the heat of the seething arteries, feel the sheer new tonnage moving and pressing in on you. Grief sent like the first breath in a foreign country, and you fear your entry, but you're already in. You think of flight, but sorrow offers no exit. You sing, you cry, you dance, but there's no way out, except one, through your own skin. This one, heavy with sweat, matted, half-shed and broken by a delta of scars, smelling of something familiar, indiscernible, and animal, slick and smoldering like volcanic rock, as white as ash and death itself. Take it. You take it. Take it off. And I'll end with a poem that is the title of uh, this new series of poems. And um, I'll just say that it's actually for Ray Johnson and uh, Nayland Blake. Nayland Blake also did a series of uh, pieces involving rabbits and bunnies, in which they have all kinds of uh, meanings, racial, sexual, otherwise. How to draw a bunny. Drawing a bunny requires, at a minimum, a pencil and some paper. Drawing about the, talking about the bunny, or talking about drawing the bunny, is not the same as drawing the bunny. Drawing a bunny requires only three strokes if you capture the ears and only one. Drawing a bunny requires only a modicum of will. When you're drawing a bunny, try not to talk about drawing a bunny. 
When you're drawing a bunny, try not to think about drawing a bunny. The bunny may be male or female or no gender at all, so long as it's a bunny. The bunny may be black or white or gray or fluorescent or any color or no color at all and drawn in 13 or more ways, so long as it's a bunny and not a blackbird. Drawing a bunny is unlikely to make you rich or popular or the subject of extensive gossip or scholarly discussion, except among those who care about drawing bunnies and drawing bunnies. Drawing a bunny doesn't mean that you've drawn the true bunny or the false bunny, just that you've drawn the bunny. Just because you've drawn the bunny doesn't mean you know the bunny. Just because you've drawn the bunny doesn't mean you do not know the bunny. The bunny as idea or image need not carry any metaphysical weight. The bunny as idea or image can nevertheless, nevertheless still function perfectly well as a trope or metaphor. Speaking about the bunny as, quote, beautiful, unquote, introduces, introduces a host of philosophical problems. The drawn bunny may or may not be undrawing itself, which is for someone else to discern. The half-drawn bunny is not the same as the drawn, partially drawn or undrawn bunny. Drawing a bunny is not the same as drawing a puppy or a kitten, unless you designate them rigidly under the name bunny. Why draw a bunny when you can draw a pony or a tank or a dollar sign? Why draw a bunny when you can draw bathwater or compounded interest or 57 Magnum? Why draw a bunny or dollar sign when you can draw up your own will? To erase a bunny requires only three strokes. Drawing a bunny can be emotional or emotional or unemotional, though the effect is usually evaluative. Drawing a bunny has a number of purposes, the chief of which is drawing a bunny. Drawing a bunny requires no originality, even if your livelihood or sense of self and authenticity hinge on it. <laughs> drawing a bunny requires no philosophy, though you and the bunny may be of a philosophical bent. Drawing a bunny doesn't depend upon your dreaming a bunny, though it's best if you draw before you dream. The dream bunny will never be the drawn bunny, since the artwork is always the death mask of its conception. Drawing a bunny requires no talent, even though you may put great stock in artistic genius. Drawing a bunny requires a modicum of concentration, even though you might put no stock in artistic technique. Drawing a bunny is like learning a language, only it takes considerably less time. Drawing a bunny can occur, can occur anywhere you can draw a bunny. Drawing a bunny saves no one, though, though at the very least the bunny is drawn. Drawing a bunny only requires three strokes, though the effect can be abstract, representational, or conceptual, or some medium between the three. Drawing a bunny says only about you that you drew a bunny, a bunny, and not about your intellect or character. Drawing a bunny successfully will make you want to draw another bunny. <laughs> Drawing a bunny unsuccessfully will make you want to draw another bunny. Drawing a bunny requires only a pencil, a similar writing instrument, and some paper. Drawing, undrawing, or withdrawing a life requires a lifetime. Thank you. It depends on the piece. Uh, so, for example, in the poems inside Moses, those went through many, many, many drafts. And sometimes I, I thought I was near where I, 
they needed to be, and I would show them uh, to Chris, send them to him, or when we met and we talked them through. And then I realized sometimes even whether he offered criticism or not, that they could probably go a little bit further. Um, I mean, one of the things he said early on is, you know, you really should sort of push yourself further out. And uh, so, I mean, I think it depends. Um, with some of the uh, poems, the, the newer poems that I've read, uh, some of those have gone through multiple, uh, multiple drafts. And of course, to me, one of the most important things is to always read something aloud because then you catch little things, you catch the rhythms, your ear catches what your eye doesn't. So, but they've all gone through uh, multiple drafts. Um, it, it varies with, with me. Um, sometimes I write something and I let it sit for several weeks, several months. Um, some things sit for a couple of years and get dragged out again. Um, you know, it, it really depends on um, it depends on the, the, the intent of my, my personal intent, uh, uh, what I want the poem to do. Um, depending on that, it, depending on that is what uh, matters in terms of wh whether or not a poem is finished. Um, if if I want a poem to be really polished, and particularly if I'm dealing with specific forms, uh, like I said earlier, I'm working on the Stromboto, that takes a little bit more time um, in terms of shaping the language and making words fit um, into the form. And then there are other poems like the one I read, Blue Star, Fame Index, which um, are, you know, five fragments that kind of cohered in a draft. So. Well, I, I could say, as Chris mentioned, that someone, another writer actually, uh, had, without telling us, taken his, some of his beautiful drawings and some poems I published in, I think it was Poetry, no, was it Poetry? It was a, uh, the Poetry Project newsletter. The Poetry Project St. Mark's Church. St. Mark's Church, and put them together, and then he, I think showed them to Chris, and uh, so, but it was sort of amazing, because I always wanted to do, you know, uh, a collaborative project. But I think when after, after that happened, one of the things I thought would, would, was that it would be better actually to come up with new texts to really match the drawings or to work with the drawings or be in conversation with the drawings. And then we sort of went back and forth in terms of sharing the text and then uh, Chris did new drawings. And so we would meet, we would send them by email, uh, we'd be listening to the same kinds of music. So I didn't read one of the pieces, but one of the pieces actually uh, you know, invoke Cecil Taylor because I think at the same we were listening to Cecil Taylor at the same time in different places. So that's sort of the rudiments of it. Um, I met John through a guy named Reggie Harris um, back in '90. I think we met the first time either summer of '90. It was summer summer of '97, I think it was. And uh, two years prior to that, I had uh, without knowing John or, and. Prior to meeting Reggie, who introduced us, I uh, randomly bought a copy of, of Annotations, um, John John's book, and uh, it's funny. I, I, I bought the book um, just I, I 
you know, going to bookstores and just look through stuff and whatever. And I bought the book, um, but for a frivolous reason, actually. It had the, the city I was born and raised in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And so I was wondering who, what other, you know, who was this black author on new, new, uh, uh, Direction. new directions? The, you know, such a prestigious and, and um, established press that would that would know where my hometown was. And um, also, he mentions one of his cousins in the book who I didn't go to school with. They were a little bit older than me, but who I often hung out with. Um, uh, and that was r- really random. I had never met John before. So when Reggie introduced us, we I said, can I have your address? And so we started corresponding, and then we ended up at Cave Canem together. And uh, while later, while being a uh, coordinator for the poetry project, Ronnie um, Corpus. Corpus, Veronica Corpus um, asked me, she said, um, can I have some poems from you? I said, well, I have drawings. Um, in lieu of poems, can I give you drawings? And she said, she said, oh, yeah, yeah, poems work as drawings. That's fine. So I gave her that. And then she asked me for two other, she said, give me two or three names of other people. And I gave uh, John's name and Janice Lowe um, and somebody else. And then later she came back and put, which is interesting too, that the drawings I gave her, most of them were figurative drawings. They were these like strange looking heads and only two of a half a dozen or so drawings were actually abstract. And she made the suggestion that John uh, you know, told you earlier. And then through um, uh, various other people, um, uh, John Thurkeld and Sandra Miller. Um, I ran a reading series. John read on the reading series Thurkeld, Thurkeld, um, and he brought 1913 to the reading, the very first issue before it came out. And he said, "This is the new issue of this journal is coming out." Blah, blah blah. And I liked the production quality, so I said, "Hey, what do you think about her producing our book?" And then we spent about two years, more years, kind of. John and I were continuing the process and. Um, finally met Sandra and Ben, and then they kind of just came came together, um, and we all had started working together. Um, actually, they became a very substantial part of the, the process in terms of figuring out how to reproduce the drawings. Um, I had done some in color that I really liked. Um, John has a couple, of, uh, two, one or two of those that are in color um, or have hints of color. We couldn't use those, you know, so that influenced how much more, you know, what the, you know, that I wouldn't use colored pencils anymore mm-hmm. while we were working on this. And so it became, you know, a big group of us just kind of working on it towards the end. Um, so. I'm going to ask that question first because my question is even more about collaboration in the sense that I was wondering, for, I'm really intrigued with how kind of open you each are with your process mm-hmm. um, and um, willing to let people inject themselves into it. But I was wondering, I'll just say that's. I think it's a great question, and one of the things that made it, I think, easier for me with this book was that it was understood that that Chris was going to 
do these, do these beautiful drawings, and I was going to work on the text. I think um, I've always been fascinated by writers who, for particularly for political reasons, I'm thinking of uh, writers from the era of you know, um, you know, um, women's rights, gay liberation. Uh, that the moment of the late '60s and the early '70s, where people wanted to go, you know, sort of fight against the notion of autonomy, challenge the notion of autonomy, uh, the notion of um, the kind of isolated genius, et cetera. So they really worked on, um, you know, writing collaboratively in a, in a very, very, I think, I think, profound way. I mean, I think there, of course, there are examples before that, um, uh, going back to, you know, people like Wordsworth and Coleridge and the lyrical ballads, without putting their names on exactly. You know, saying designate who wrote which poems, but um, but that's always sort of fascinating me, and I think that's a, that's a, that's a, a more difficult and scary place to go. You know, where you, when you're working with someone who's working in the exact same uh, genre or medium, because right, you know, when do you, how far do you go? How how far? What if you sort of reach a limit beyond which you're afraid to go? How do you go beyond that? And I will say though that with with many of the pieces in this book. I mean, there were moments where, you know, I thought I had gone far enough in terms of uh, what I had written or, you know, the, the imagery, uh, you know, in terms of the, the uh, orientation of the text, let's say, or um, how it looked on the page, et cetera. And Chris would sometimes say, I think you can go a little bit further. So I found that I was going much further out in terms of writing things that I had never written before. Right? So I had never really written anything that could, you know, I published it. Certainly, they could be called, you know, visual poetry or concrete poetry or moving towards concretion. But there are a number of works here that do that. Um, works that can be read simultaneously. You know, I, one of my first readings was with a great poet named Jessica Grimm, and she got up and she read this. One of her first poems was something like, you know, water, flower, text. Edge. And I just sat there fascinated. I thought, I'll never write anything like that. And then, but then, of course, you know, maybe 10 years later, here we go, you know, there, there is a, you know, series of texts here that do something similar to that, in part because they are in conversation with these drawings that say, this is what this text must look like. Um, you know, film is different just because you're dealing with a, you're dealing with an ensemble of people with very specific um, art expertise that, um, that very much understand or should understand if you have a good producer, if you are a good producer, understand what their role is uh, at the outset, um, which, you know, there are other ways of doing it. Um, there are other less uh, uh, professionally rigorous ways of approaching making film. Um, but with this particular process, um, it very much is like, like it is, in many ways, the, the core sentiment of poetics, for, for me at least, is a collaborative effort. Um, I mean, if you notice about a lot of the work that each of us individually read, much of it is inspired by or influenced by, or um, the poems themselves are kind of a ballast between uh, us as authors independently with um, you know the respective work of uh, antecedents and peers, and so we're talking to other artists um, in in the process of writing, um, and so that makes the process between us because we are already given to that a lot more, a lot easier, um, and a lot more or organic. I don't really like that word, but um, kind of natural. Um, one of the hardest aspects, I think. Uh, 
for me in the in this process was um, to at once hear uh, the the direction that John was going in with the text and under kind of understand um, you know some of the omissions, understand some of um, the assertions, um, uh, understand um, you know the the various um, perspectives that were being brought in uh, through the text. Um, there are um, a lot of appropriations in the, in John's text, um, m many of which I'm familiar with, some of which I wasn't. Um, and so I was trying to situate uh, continuing the process of making the drawings without thinking too too hard about um, what the theoretical ramifications of what I might be doing um, at the end would 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 be. Um, and that was a difficult process. The the easier thing, the thing that was um, kind of made it a very inspiring thing, um, is the attention that John gave to um, things that were operating in the conceptual periphery of of mine in the, during the process of making the drawings. There were things that he that he was that I was doing that I was unaware of that he brought into conversation, and so there was this kind of discourse that I had in the in process with pen and paper to say oh how do I now that he's told me that I've done that how do I how do I do it you know um, and so that started to happen and that's where the real generosity comes in that and I'll close with this is that there's um that I trust him like tremendously I trust his intellect um, and I trust his, his artistic experience I trust his life experience so I know that wherever he's taking me, it's somewhere where I would like to at least see, you know. And vice versa. Thanks. Thanks. I have a question just about um, talking about having three or four projects sort of going at the same time. And, and I think one of the things that is intriguing to me is sort of how there can be this possibility of keeping focus, but what's also kind of um, destabilizing Uh, well, I've, I've, you know, I've like participated in a bunch of, I've, you know, I've danced before, I've, you know, done theater stuff, um, I've uh, worked with musicians, mostly electronic music, club music and stuff, um, you know, I still make paintings and collages and drawings and um, I've made some video, documentary video stuff, uh, you know, worked on the web doing stuff, um, I never really got, like, solidly into any of those things because I kind of just move around a lot and um, you know I guess at a certain point you um, you just look at each individual thing as a as a like a poem as a work of art 
as an artistic thing in and of itself, as a discrete poem. And um, I look at the, the process of writing uh, very much in the same way that, or writing a poem, very much in the same way that I approached, like, you know, having a role in dramatic theater. It's like, okay, you do the thing, you come to a stopping point where that thing has gotten as good as it can possibly get, or you tire of it and you walk away. And you keep doing that over and over and over again in various ways, and then there's like this accumulation of things to sort through, which, um, which I've always thought was also part of the artistic process, and very much what I like, you know, is like in my studio, sort of, um, you know, there's the piles of paintings, there's like the piles of material for collages, there's old paintings, there's, you know, there's piles of drawings, there's like all these different things around, and I like being able to kind of pick through them. And sometimes those things start to talk to each other and make connections, um, and that, and then out of that comes new stuff. Uh, having three books going on at the same time, part of that is just in each section. There's just a different set of ideas that I'm trying to deal with that somehow or another came out of the other ones, and I just realize like, oh, they don't quite fit the way that I want them to, um, and I think that's kind of what happens in. You know, it's tough to negotiate. I don't really have an, an answer. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe a last one. Can, 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 uh, do people know about Cabaret Canada? Could you, could you talk about the, 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 the pod, <laughs> the, the group that is Cabaret Canada and, and what it is and what, and, and what your experience is like? Sure. I'm, I think it was founded in, was it 1996? Yeah. It was founded in 1996 by uh, two uh, wonderful poets, uh, Cornelius Eady and Toy Derricotte. Uh, Cornelius Eady at the time was teaching at uh, City College and City University, and Toy was teaching at the University of Pittsburgh, and they decided to start a, a summer workshop for uh, black writers uh, because they kept noticing that people, when they were talking informally to a lot of young writers, um, they were saying, you're talking about how difficult their workshop experience was, particularly in terms of writing about, um, either writing about work that they felt was very culturally specific and having classmates say, we don't know what you're talking about, or writing work that was, you know, not uh, marked racially and having people say, well, why are you writing like this? So, uh, to boil it down. So they uh, started this workshop and it's uh, competitive, you have to apply. Um, you go for three, they don't have to be consecutive summers, and then you become a graduate fellow. And I think several hundred, or maybe many hundred people have passed through uh, since. 400 now. About 400 have passed through. Some extraordinary poets uh, have gone through. Many people have written before they went to Kaveh Khanum and had a transformative experience. And then I also think that it had, um, it also was an inspiration in part. I, was it wasn't an inspiration in part to the Asian American writers, a workshop was that the? I don't know if they're related. I mean, they they have a lot of yeah. Uh, I think symbiotic. Right. I think so. I think there was. I, I think there was some kind of uh, not to say that you know it was the 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 um, the uh, sort of uh, launching point, but I know they've had a very close relationship um, uh, over the years, and um, and you know the work that's come out of as I said, Kawi Kanem. Um, by many different writers. It's many different styles, and it's just really uh, quite amazing. So, 
I mean, it, it definitely helped me and John. One, we are actually, this book is a somewhat a product of Comic-Con because Reggie Harris, who introduced us, introduced us after my first summer at Comic-Con. And they happened to be walking through Bryant Park in New York. And, you know, that's, with that combination of writers coming together, that's how, that's how we met. Um, it's kind of a family vibe, it's sort of a dysfunctional family. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, a lot of people are, are uh, gay and lesbian. I would say probably maybe even 60%, maybe? No. No, not that I. No, I um, think maybe like 30%. 30%? It seems like a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, well, just because of the, the influence, um, you know, some of the uh, prestigious writers, uh, Don Lundy Martin, Doriel Harris, Ronaldo Wilson, Gar Patterson, John, um, and, you know, many, many others, um, you know, definitely have a, a, a swath of, of Kavi Khan. And it, that's been an interesting thing to see how um, a lot of heterosexual, particularly heterosexual men, black men, have had to adjust their frame around um, gay and lesbian people um, and women, women's writing. And that, that's really kind of changed, I think, a lot of the dynamics amongst black male poets. Um, mm -hmm. Which is one of many facets to Kavikana. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Michael.